when that bass crashes in, you know it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, oh man, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks out there using this podcast to fuel you, to motivate you, to get you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you, man, in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes, supporting you, talking about games, getting you through, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free, thanks to our sponsor this week, Mac Weldon. What's that? Mac Weldon. Made that possible, bringing the show to you. Of course, the show is all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis... The guy who is not coming to North Carolina with me this week, <laughs> Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff Kanata. I was, though, in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes while you ran this morning, right? Yeah, baby. Always. <laughs> you just yeah. pulled up my album or, or just my audio tracks from old podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're recording a little early uh, this week uh, on Sunday because I'm, I'm heading to North Carolina to check out Lawbreakers, uh, the new uh, Cliffy B joint on Monday and Tuesday. Um, so uh, if there's any late breaking news on Monday, this we won't be covering it. So uh, we will be talking next week, hopefully about whatever that might be. But yeah, um, this morning I went and, and I was a geek and sneak myself. I'll talk about that in my parting gift, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was good times. Um, what do you, how are you doing Christian? How, how are things? I never check in with you. No, I'm good, dude. Uh, I woke up this morning. My whole family has been sick. And then uh, I just got, I'm on the tail end of this. I could not talk this morning. And I was like, well, this is going to be the podcast where I just, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but I have my my tea and my water and I'm feeling feeling good. Well, we have an awesome guest with us this week, uh, giving up part of his Sunday to talk to us. And I'm so glad because he's one of my favorite people. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But once again, we are so happy because DLC this week stands for diversions and labors combined because we've got friend of the show, Sean Andrich from gamerswithjobs.com and the Gamers With Jobs conference call podcast. He's back. We're so excited to have him. Welcome back, Sean. Well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, surprise, this is actually an intervention because I'm here to convince you to cancel your VR pre-orders. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, we're just jumping right in on that, huh? All yeah, right. Uh, Both yeah, of them? We'll, we'll, all we'll of them? Uh, yeah, all of them. But we'll, we'll uh, yeah. Sean, I, no. Jeff can't. Like, he tried customer services that bad. <laughs> you know, honestly, I, they may have be canceled on their own. Like, I may have nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, let's let's well, we can wait on story of the week for a second. Let's let. Why do I need to cancel? Is it <laughs> because I cause... did, and I want company. I want to feel better <laughs> about my decisions. I I, uh, I pre-ordered a Vive the moment they were available for pre-order. I was right in there very quickly. Oh, so you've definitely got yours now, and it's sitting in your in your room, and you've got. Oh it yeah, in... no, it's it's. Well, that's the thing. I've canceled my pre-order, but for all I know, it's going to show up anyway. Like I really don't know. <laughs> With the way this ordering processes go. Just, I was listening to the show and I was listening to your, let's call it a, a Woody L. Allen-esque meltdown. <laughs> Is uh, that what it was? A, a little bit about the nature of just your, your orders and the difficulties you've been having. I, I was driving um, and I had this moment of clarity a few weeks ago. And I was just thinking about, I'm like, the Vive 
it's eight hundred dollars U.S. Uh, Canadian right now with the way the dollar is, it's like eleven hundred dollars. Yeah, and and I was just I just had this moment of clarity, like it's gonna get better, like it's gonna be a better product. But later. when? When will it get better? I don't know. It's don't a question know. mark. It's not even better right now because it's not in your house. Like it's yeah. it's just this idea. So I actually went in to cancel it, and I have to say, when I went to the forums to cancel it, and I re- saw that Digital River were the ones who were actually fulfilling orders. I felt yeah. like 400% better about canceling because they are <laughs> always terrible. Yeah. They, they've done collector's editions for games that have gone south. They've done so many different uh, video game products that have just completely fallen apart. And I'm not shocked at all to see how poor this process is. So I decided I'm really glad I canceled. I feel great because now I have no agita about when it's going to show up. And I'm just going to get it like when I can get it easily, like when it's on a shelf or when I can just order it and I know it'll show up in a week. I think by the time that happens, a lot of kinks are going to be worked out. The hardware might be better. I think it's just a, for your own like sanity, I think it's just a much better way to go. I think the only place you find these on a shelf is in VR while playing Job Simulator. Otherwise, (laughs) I don't know, I don't know when these things have a retail presence. It's, I told you this, Jeff, just offline, but like, I'm wondering if PlayStation VR wins by default just because Sony has manufacturing and retail distribution partnerships, you know, somewhat under control. And everyone else is like, we built this thing and this thing's out. Welcome to the world of VR. Can you play it? Oh, hell no. (laughs) It it might go down as one of the worst launches in in history uh, in the video game space. And the idea that both of these companies could screw this up this badly, like the idea that they both rushed to sort of be within a couple of weeks of each other and it was all going to happen and the VR future was going to happen. And, you know, all these websites are making such a big deal about it. And you literally can't get them. Even if you ordered them months ago, you can't get them. It's insanity. Well, I think they weren't, they actually, we did a prediction. We do a prediction show every year on the conference call where we talk about, you know, what we expect for the year to come. And I did predict that the VR was going to launch this year, but it was going to be kind of a, uh, pun intended, a virtual launch. It was going to be kind of like they would actually launch it, but it would be basically pure pre-orders throughout the whole year. And it's not actually going to be a product you buy on shelves this year. Um, Now, PlayStation VR, I think definitely will, but it's going to sell out and it's going to be one of those hot holiday items that is sold out everywhere and you can't get it because they probably shipped like 20 units to Target <laughs> or something. But I, I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's what's happening here too. So I, in in some way, I, I had a DK too. I love VR. I don't really feel like VR is launching until 2017. Like in my, in my brain, that's just how I think about it. And I, yeah. I feel much happier. I feel like a very happy content <laughs> person compared to the guy who had a Vive pre-order a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. I envy that happiness. It seems so nice. I, I'm still, I literally check my email incessantly throughout the week, hoping beyond hope that some kind of oh, notification man. will show up of, of a tracking number, but nope, nothing. I'm going to steal some, uh, sorry, we, we missed you notices and just like every <laughs> just other <worry>. day. <laughs> oh, that would be beautiful. I, I'm calling UPS. What do you mean you have no record of it? I have to slip right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man worst april fool ever standing outside the yes store with a ghetto blaster over your head like, <laughs> yeah please uh all right guys uh enough uh tormenting my my woes uh let's uh let's start the show the way we always do a story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, which is DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is an awesome place to meet other listeners of the show and discuss the things that are going on too. Uh, you can find that at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Uh, Sean, as our guest, you get first pick. So uh, what is your story of the week? Oh, man, there's there's some good ones to choose from. Uh, part of me wants to do uh, this Quantum Break story just because uh, last time I was on, we talked about some Quantum Break uh, preview coverage, and uh, I, I was not too enthused about the game. And uh, yeah. it turns out I, that may have been well-placed. It doesn't sound like it really launched super well. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, no, yeah. the game... Sorry, go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, no, the game, it, it's obviously had very mixed reviews. Uh, there's been a few positive ones, but generally speaking, people have been pretty negative. And now we've got Quantum Break PC problems specifically. Uh, pretty late uh, before the game actually uh, came out, they announced that if you got the Xbox One version, you would get a version that will run on Windows 10 for free, provided you pre-ordered, which is pretty cool, except apparently it doesn't work on Windows 10 right now. Uh, people had a heck of a time even just getting the code and getting the game downloaded on Windows 10. And and good Lord help you if you want to try and run this thing at 60 frames per second. It's virtually impossible, right? Yeah, now. they say no matter what kind of beefy system you've got, they, they threw a uh, Titan X at this thing. And no, you can't get 60 frames. You can't get 60 frames per second. Uh, I'm I'm surprised I didn't see any headlines that said quantum broken. Uh, just, <laughs> that would have been perfect. Right. <laughs> why wouldn't you do that? Why Why wouldn't you? Uh, clearly, I'm not writing for these places. Um, but yeah, it, this was supposed to be the big, you know, touting the universal Windows platform, UWP. It's going to be this big, you know, it's rolling out. It's making any kind of platform that has a Windows operating system, be it the Xbox, be it your PC, be it your mobile, they're all running the basically the same code and it's easy to port between them. And we're going to show you how easy and cool that is by releasing these cool, big AAA first party titles on Windows 10, same day, you know, same time, same code. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be so great. You're going to be able to get it. Except as you said, this thing really crapped the bed. It, evidently it performance issues crashing on NVIDIA hardware, which is like, you know, at least NVIDIA isn't a large portion of what gamers use. Um, it is, it's, it's unbelievable. And not only that, even if you crank up the, the settings to like the ultra settings, the highest settings on a PC, it's kind of indistinguishable from the Xbox and not in a good way. It's, it's just sort of, there's no benefit to having it be on PC. Everything that's great about being a PC gamer is, is not present here. Yeah, and in fact, they're neutering it with, uh, and, and Tim Sweeney from Epic came out against um, against UWP uh, and the way Microsoft was positioning it. And a lot of it was for the reasons that have, have really come to light here with Quantum Break. I mean, this isn't unusual. Every time Microsoft comes forward and they say, no, no, this time though, this time, for real this time, we love PC yeah. gaming. We're going to make this the ultimate platform. I was there. I sat across from Peter Morta at an E3 like uh, seven years ago or more when they were announcing the game, uh, the, what was it? The games for Windows? Games for platform. Windows, yeah. They were going to have end caps in EB games and they were going to really push Windows and their new DirectX was going to really just blow it open and the performance was going to be amazing and it was just going to be driver-based and it was going to be incredible. And uh, and it's just it's never come to pass. And it, this continues to show how ham fisted uh, Microsoft is when they try and 
insert themselves mm. into the process and say like, we're going to, oh, no, out of way, guy, we got this. We're going to make it a lot better for you. Don't worry. And it's always terrible. It never works out the way it does. They're best off just do your direct X and, and let developers and publishers work with your operating system as closely as possible and, and just get out of the way because it never seems to pan out for them. Yeah, this is like a fool me once, you know, Fool me 12 times kind of a situation. <laughs> At least. Yeah. Uh, Christian, what, what's your take on this? I was really optimistic that with both consoles being an x86 architecture that, you know, we wouldn't be seeing this anymore, this generation. And I don't know, uh, you know, I am developer ignorant. I don't know how difficult it is to port things over, but there are problems with this outside of Microsoft getting involved too. I mean, Arkham Knight was touted by NVIDIA as one of the games that they were giving away free with whatever card it was, the 980 or a TI or one of their cards. And they were showing the cape effects and the weather effects and how much better it was. And I still think that game is not as promised, you know, on PC. And then Quantum Break, where it's here's a game that by all accounts is visually beautiful. But man, it'd be great to see it at 60 frames per second. It can't be done. It's so it's so maddening and so frustrating because the advantages of throwing more hardware at something you'd think would make it better. Like, I don't know if you guys have watched the videos of Dark uh, Dark Souls 3 running at 60 frames per second on PC. It's like, oh yeah, like this isn't worth the extra thousand dollars you spent on your PC to get this, but like it justifies it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't, I, I honestly don't know what the problem is other than just lack of person power to make sure it goes smoothly or time to get them all out right but it, it it boggles my mind, and more so, I think Sean, when Microsoft is you know putting their face on it, you think then that they would have an internal team that would be like, whoa, 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 this is an exclusive game for our system. This is one of the exclusive titles for this initiative we're launching. Like this one has to work, yeah. and it and it's one of the most egregious examples of it not working and well, it, my pc shows up on tuesday <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, it, and it, that's and that's a bummer when you're like all right pc and they're like oh here's a here's a thing that's not going to work as good as it does on a console um and you look at the difference in in culture i mean microsoft uh, obviously does a lot more than just video games and you could argue that with the xbox one's launch uh the xbox one being somewhat marginalized compared to the xbox 360 <laughs> it's possible as an organization there just isn't anybody in that corporate culture who's got enough juice to really advocate for this stuff properly. You look at it in contrast, when Sony is partnering with uh, with a company, say Naughty Dog, to do an Uncharted game, or, um, you know, like with uh, like uh, Shadow of the Colossus, or, you know, just big games that are going to be only on a Sony platform, Sony has a SWAT team they'll send to the developer for six months to just sit there and help them with programming to their architecture, right? That was more necessary on the PS3, which was very unique, uh, but it shows a commitment to make sure that stuff that is going to be like the gemstone in the crown, like they're going to really make sure this thing shines and operates as, as well as possible. Like Quantum Break is exclusive to the Xbox One. Like this was an opportunity, even though the game is kind of apparently so-so, this was an opportunity to show what Windows could do. And, 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 and almost like if in some weird Machiavellian way, I wonder if this is a way to like punish PC users and tell them to go back to the <laughs> Xbox ecosystem because, ah, sorry guys, I guess the PC is not as cool as we thought it was. Come on back <laughs> so over you, here. So you invested <laughs> in that big PC. Um, the, the silver lining here though, I think maybe is that, you know, the epics, uh, Tim Sweeney's big, big complaint, right. Was 
people will will buy stuff on UM, uh, UWP. They'll you know, Microsoft will update that system more frequently to the detriment of you know more open stuff. And then it'll be this closed platform that Microsoft has complete control over and all the best stuff will be there. And oh no, now they have complete control over PC gaming. Well, I guess what happens is if it's crappy, no one uses it. And so then that kind of potential future doesn't happen. So maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> it is a good thing. And, and uh, especially on the PC, we have a very long and storied history. Anytime you try and lock, a, lock the PC down, you try and uh, constrain it in some way, the first thing people want to do is how do we get around this? And, right. uh, and the fact that even when Steam launched, there's a lot of, a lot of discussion about its DRM, such as, as it is. And that just being the fact you have to be logged into Steam uh, sometimes to launch your game initially, although now you can play offline mode and do stuff like that. There's a lot of concern about that. So it's it's really telling that now, again, Microsoft trying to constrain things. People look at it. they like It's just not implementing well. And so that's pretty much makes it dead in the water. Yeah, one of the one of the big things that people were talking about, Eurogamer's article about this problem, cited a, a point that uh, you know a lot of these issues, these performance issues, uh, can happen on other releases. And what'll happen is the PC user base will work, will you know develop workarounds and kind of dig in there and fix the stuff on their own. And that's impossible with UWP. So they're really shooting themselves in the foot. Stuff that could be sort of easily fixed can't even be fixed because it's a closed platform. So. I love Jeff Silverlining Canada. <laughs> Silverlining is it'll fail, everybody. <laughs> Maybe this will get way worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christian, so wait, okay. is that the silver lining for your VR headsets too? Like, <laughs> oh, No, I don't want those to fail. Uh, what is your story of the week, Christian? So this is a little story that if you've been listening to you know, to the show for a while, you know, I dig stuff like this. And it's a, a secret or a, a tip found in Mike Tyson's punch out on the NES. So whatever it is, 20 something year old game, there was a Reddit user, Midwestern Housewives, a uh, nice Reddit handle, by the way. And it's during a piston Honda and bald bull fights. You, if you pay attention in the first row in the crowd, there's a guy with a beard on the left hand side. Normally, totally still, but during Honda and Bull's special attacks that leave him vulnerable for that one-hit knockout, the bearded guy ducks at the exact right time. So if you're playing the game and not paying attention to the guy you're fighting looking for his visual cue <laughs> when to punch, there's a dude in the background that's like, get him, and then you take him out. And I love that no one noticed this for you know decades, and two, that some programmer at Nintendo you know, whipped this into the game at a time, especially when background crowds were non-existent or just awful, you know, static little circles or whatever. I, I love this. I keep waiting for the last <laughs> Mortal Kombat quote unquote secret to be found too. But this is one that people didn't even know about. It wasn't, let's find the lost thing. Like, you know, I know Jeff, you're a fan of like the speed runs and stuff like that. Yeah. And I feel like this kind of thing is uh, found because of that scene. Well, I kind of I'm kind of shocked that none of those speedrunner dudes. I'm sure there's a lot of epic level punch out players over the years, over the decades that it's been out. I'm surprised no one has noticed this before. I feel like it maybe just wasn't 
widely known, but there's got to be some guy who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that years ago. <laughs> the guy, a guy with a beard that the crowd member was modeled after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Billy Mitchell is like, <laughs> Billy Mitchell's like, yeah, I knew about that. And I saw that. <laughs> Maybe it's like Fight Club. You're not supposed to talk about it. Maybe yeah. it's just like a secret for speedrunners that they, they promise not to share with the world. Did you ever, have you ever found a secret, Sean? Were you ever a guy growing up that like found a thing and were the, the hero of the neighborhood? Uh, the only secret I ever found was a can't fail way to score an NHL 93. I'm listening. That's huge. 92. Uh, and, and in fact, it was such a slam dunk. Um, oh, mixing sports metaphors there. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was so good that my brothers and I had to promise, like we actually, we called it trash goals. We weren't allowed to score by doing this, which is you just, all you had to do is you have the puck. You're skating up the middle of the rink and you just go left, right, left, right as you go toward the net and you're almost guaranteed to score every time. You just go left, right, left, right, left, right. And then you shoot on either left or right and the goalie almost always misses it. Huh. Wow. Just guaranteed. Uh, so we we like actually, if you scored like that um, in, in games between my brothers and I, you, you they got a free punch. Like they got to hit you <laughs> physically, like in the arm. Um, and, that is the, uh, o- and- the only fair reciprocity. Obviously, or you just got punched because you won and you're the little brother. (laughs) There's a lot of reasons you got punched. We had a lot of rules around that. Uh, But that was like a guarantee way to score. But otherwise, I've I've always been really bad at digging out secrets. I've never had that obsessive quality you need to really pay attention to those kind of details. Did you find any, Jeff, like as a kid reviewing games? Did you dive that deeply? Uh, no, I mean, like I, I, I share that sentiment of like being astounded by that and going, how did I never see that? How did I never notice the thing? And, and, um, you know, I'm so concentrated on, on the foreground that I can't see the background. <laughs> I, you know, I, I get, I get a little tunnel vision on, on stuff sometimes, but you know, that's, it's just another example of how cool the internet is because, <laughs> you know, there was a time when we all like read Nintendo power magazine and, and heard about the cool thing, but the fact that, you know, there's this massive network of people just talking about stuff all the time and, and seeing those guys that can like the, hearing the stories of the speedrunners that find the glitch. And then the other guy like takes the one dude's discovery of the glitch and one ups it because you can do the glitch in a different way. And it's like this cool hive mind of, of figuring out games and kind of breaking them sideways, but doing it because we have group think it's cool. And I love it when it's intentional and just like somewhere there's a developer sitting around right now for a game that's out that's just thinking, you guys haven't even found the warp whistle in Mario 3 yet or, you know, or something like that. It's just like, oh, man, when you guys find this in uh, Halo 2, your mind is going to be blown. (laughs) I think that's called an ocarina, a warp whistle. Um, So my (laughs) my story of the week, uh, there's one I feel like I have to do, but the the one I want to do is just sort of talk about Heroes of the Dorm being on ESPN2 uh, all weekend. Heroes of the Dorm has been on ESPN2. And just briefly, like, I don't know if you guys have watched any of it, but they have done such a great job. I was at the uh, Heroes of the Dorm last year, which was the first year that they'd ever done it. And the game wasn't even officially out yet. It was still in beta when they did this big tournament for basically the idea behind here's the dorm. If you're not familiar is that uh, college teams, they have to be non-professional college players and they, uh, they can, they compete to get their entire college tuition paid for the winner of the tournament. All members of the team get their college tuition paid for, which is pretty rad. Like for the rest of the time they're in college. Um, and, uh, it's a really fun thing, but last year it was very scrappy. You know, the game was still in beta. It was first time Blizzard had done this kind of tournament and, uh, it, it it was cool and it was a great exhilarating experience, especially being there live uh, in LA this year. Now the game has been out about, you know, almost a year 
the pro scene is much more sophisticated. These players have played the game a lot more. And the production values that they're doing on ESPN are through the roof. And I just I just can't even say enough good things about the casters that they're using, Tasteless, Artosis, even uh, Gillyweed, who's been on the show. Uh, I, I just think they stepped up their game. They really, it sounds like everybody made a conscious effort to talk about the game without using too much inside jargon that would be off-putting to a casual listener, but not talking down either. It's still, I think, very intelligent, informative commentary, but done in a way that is much more open to first-time viewers and uh, much more um, sort of welcoming and and explains what you need to know to kind of understand why something is dramatic and cool. And the visual elements, like simplifying certain things and showing information on the screen, like they have a much more simplified mini-map than even you have in the actual game. It It only shows you the kind of pertinent information that you would need as a viewer. Just across the board, great, great job. And and I hope people got a chance to watch it this weekend because it, it it was great. I don't know if any of you guys got a chance to see any of that. Nah, or if you're even I, I just haven't. I I keep throwing myself at it. But other than watching some StarCraft 2 matches, I just haven't got into that yeah. aspect of uh, esports. I watched Force Awakens a couple more times. Does that, does that count for anything? No. Uh, the story that I feel like I should have picked, uh, but is, is, is kind of a bummer, definitely goes in line with our cancel your pre-orders, uh, discussion, because, uh, this one is a reason that I definitely have thought about canceling my Oculus pre-order at least. Um, U.S. Senator Al Franken is, has extended a, uh, a letter, a request to, uh, Facebook and to Oculus, uh, to give him more information about why they need the kind of end user agreement that they have and the personal data collection that they seem to be doing with Oculus Rift. Evidently, some people found out that the Oculus Home service, which is the piece of software that you install when you get an Oculus that allows the Oculus to work and is sort of the front end for everything. Well, that runs in the background and it detects anytime you plug the Oculus in and says, hey, you want to go into VR? You just plugged your Oculus in. That's cool. That's kind of what I would expect a thing to do. But it also always runs in the background to do that. But it seems to also be contacting Facebook home servers all the time and constantly uploading data from your computer. We don't know what kind of data that is, but the end user agreement is a little bit worrisome. It basically says it can take any kind of information we want from your physical position in the room, which we'll, they'll get from the, you know, virtual reality sensors to the, your usage habits on games and other applications on your computer. Uh, and they say, how do we use this information? We use the information to do a number of things to help us provide our services to you and our partners, which is a little scary. Here are some examples to market to you. We use the information we collect to send you promotional messages and content and otherwise market to you on and off our services we also use this information to measure how users respond to our marketing efforts. So one Reddit user uh, has decided to block those servers, uh, services on his computer and tried to see what, it, what, uh, what they do. He said at one point um, at its peak, the OVR server underscore x64.executable was consuming seven megabytes, not megabits, but megabytes uh, per second up and down to the Facebook domain. 
Uh, that was at its peak, and he never saw it reach zero, but it did drop down to only 1.5 kilobytes most of the time he was monitoring it. Uh, and he blocked it using the Windows firewall uh, built into the OS and reported that uh, a few of the applications um, gave him little errors, but everything still works. So if you want to just block that stuff, you can, and it won't make your Oculus unusable. How worrisome is this to you, Sean? Well, I think it's, sorry, I think it's even deeper than that, though. Because there's also stuff in the EULA that says that if you create something with the Rift, the terms of service say that you surrender all rights to that work and that Oculus can use it for whatever, basically. Well, it it doesn't say that they own it, which is... Right, they don't own it, but they're allowed to use it and license it to any of their licensees or sub-licensees and you get no compensation for it. So they don't own it. But at some point, neither do you. I mean, I guess you could sell it, but Facebook or its parents' companies or its licensees can do whatever they want with it. And a lot of EULAs in terms of service have things like this. And it's like, you know, whatever, you just kind of click through. But at the same time, like, does that mean that Facebook could just theoretically, I know this is, again, a ridiculous example, but under the what they're trying to push through at the agreement, resell every single game made on Rift for free? Or through their Facebook store and just cut out the developer. It seems crazy. Well, no, I don't, I don't know. think. I don't think. I don't think it's um, anything that's made for their device. It's made anything that's made using their device. So uh, if you use their technology to create, like your what? Thing, like, like I mean, am I going to like hammer a nail with my Rift headset? Like I mean, it's it's like what are you actually going to be creating at that point? Well, that's the question, right? Uh, the idea is that if you have these, well, but we were I, talking about the Epic games thing that you build build games in rift right yeah if you have these touch controllers theoretically there'll be a a whole suite of software that lets you paint things in the in the air and you know use use it as a user interface to create other stuff uh which is a little terrifying but it seems like two related and equally scary uh points but they're also distinctly different points that yes you know it's spying on you and also if you make stuff with it they own it so, and it knows right. you made it so i mean yeah. this is this is sort of the nightmare scenario everybody was talking about when they heard that facebook acquired oculus is like now we're in facebook territory which is we want to know everything about you yeah but oh man see i'm ah uh... Jeez. Um, okay. First of all, like Jeff, when you read this, you're like saying, um, speaking of concerns or maybe wanting to cancel your rip order, reading this just kind of made you want to go check your email to see if you got an update on your. Yeah. I was like, maybe, uh, maybe a lot. Yeah. I'll tell you. Do you you want to know where I'm standing? I'll tell you where I'm standing. Just let me play in VR. I don't care. What am I looking at? How long am I looking at it? I I mean, I think that uh, the information can collect. What's interesting about the Rift and and about VR gaming in general is that it's very personal. It's more personal than when you're sitting holding a controller and looking at a screen. When you're actually in it, you speak in the first person about what you're doing. I picked this up. I threw this. I interacted in this way. Like it, it, it actually, the, the actual data is actually more personal in nature than it would be if you're saying uh, playing Gears of War just on your Xbox console, right? Everybody's collecting data on what you're doing. Any game that is connect online connected, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, anything, of course they're aggregating data. That's why these games keep getting better and more tuned because they're getting all kinds of data in the background. That's not new. What's interesting about this, though, is that what you're paying attention to inside VR, what you're focused on, is actually pretty personal. Like you could be playing something that's not a shooter or anything like that. You can be playing a, a like a just a 
you could be playing like a Sims kind of game, like where you're just walking through a virtual store and where your eyes land and what you focus on, what you spend time on, what you interact with a lot. That's like that that's going to that gets into stuff that you're not even aware of in yourself necessarily. So I think that there's it is scary in the sense that, oh, God, Facebook's going to have all this information about me. But if I have a Facebook account, they already kind of do. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Yeah. When I think about EULAs and what they're doing or not doing, I think that because this is Facebook, everybody's a little bit more freaked out about it. But I don't think what they're doing here is any different than what they've been doing with with game products in general or software in general. My personal feeling is like, I don't care. Like, yeah. Yeah, fine. Like, you know where I'm looking. Like, I, it's just, I don't, I don't care if you collect that data about me. And that's probably not the best, like, in terms of our society way to look at that. But I think I'm probably in the majority at this point. Absolutely. I think that's a very common, common feeling. And I share some of that. In fact, I, you know, one of the things that in, in this sort of broader conversation about being marketed to, I think people have this weird knee-jerk reaction about being marketed to. And my, my feeling is when marketing works at its best and when I am very well targeted, I don't even notice it. It's when it, it's when they don't have a lot of information about me and they're trying to sell me, you know, baby diapers when I'm not, when my wife isn't pregnant, that it feels weird. It's like, why am I getting this stupid ad for, you know, uh, Viagra? I don't, or why am I getting this dumb thing for a, why are they trying to sell me a new car? I just bought a, a car two years, whatever it is, if it doesn't seem like it's appropriate to me is when it feels intrusive and lame. When it's like, oh my God, yeah, I, I, I do love those granola bars and they're on sale. Oh my gosh, I will, I'll buy those granola bars. I love those. I get those every week, but I didn't know they were on sale. Like those is when, those moments are when it, it feels like, oh, awesome. I got a, a coupon for a thing I actually need. And the only way that works is if they actually do have a lot of information about my buying habits. So I'm conflicted. You're not that conflicted. I mean, your pre-order still exists. You still really want to get it. And you're still really eager to get going, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like this the argument that you know about this. Uh, yes, you're right. A, but B, it's like this argument about the the Apple case, right? People are like, oh my god, the you know the, whatever. It's like, yeah, but you carry you carry a microphone around with you all the time. You were you were carrying a microphone with you. It's like, oh my god, we can't have an Amazon Echo in our house, or we can't have a virtual reality headset that knows you know, has a camera pointed at me. It's like, but you have that in your pocket. Everybody does. It's just going to be a new, I know, I know people are still scared of la- losing their privacy and it's, it's valid. It's a valid thing. But I also feel like we're just transitioning into a new paradigm by virtue of the fact that we want the stuff that losing our privacy gets us. We really do want it. And like you say, I really want to be in VR and I don't, I kind of don't care that Facebook knows where I'm standing in my room. But that's not the stuff that losing our privacy gets us. Excuse me, I have to, um, you're being, you, you want the thing bad enough that you're willing to give up the other things that you think are just kind of meh. Like at no point does using VR require you to give up those elements of your privacy. Like they're not, you could have an Oculus Rift that works the same to you, the end user, without pinging all that stuff back to Facebook. They don't need to be collecting that data. Same with an Amazon Echo. They don't need to be, oh, well, it makes it smarter so it can anticipate what you're going to say. I, I call BS on that. I have a feeling that if it wasn't storing all of this data somewhere to better market to me, my use of the product wouldn't suffer. I wouldn't say, you know, do something and it'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, never heard you say those words before. I can't do that. It's just, 
you know, it's kind of like in our government, the U.S. government, a bill gets written that's going to do something important. And then people tack on all this other crap that goes through if that thing gets passed. And I feel like that's what a lot of these big companies are doing. They build this thing out that people want and is cool. And they shove all this other stuff that they want in the back end of it in the end user agreement. And we're just kind of like, yeah, it's fine. It's whatever, because I, I need this iPhone. And we go along with it. and It's okay. But I think we're kidding ourselves to think if life wouldn't be better to some extent without any of those things. And I don't even know if it's the concern what these companies intend to do with it. It's the idea that what are these, what will happen to this data later? How hackable is it? Every company, it seems like every part of the reason you're having a problem with uh, your Vive pre-order was your credit card was compromised. And like now all this other data of you is out there that could also be compromised. And what does that say about you and what profile is being made about you? And I don't think you really like having ads targeted towards you. Like, yeah, oh, these granola bars are on sale that I've bought once before. That's fine. But wouldn't the world be better if you just didn't see those ads? Like you saw no ads or. Well, that's, there's no, there's no universe in which we see no ads. Right. And, and I, we're sitting on a show that only exists because it has ads in it. Uh, and I, so I, I always bristle a little bit of people who are like, can't you put out your show with no ads? It's like, well, but you're getting this show for free because there's ads in it. And I think it's a, that's the world we live in. That's the economy as it exists. And I, I personally don't have a problem seeing an ad. It's, it's the only time ads are annoying is when it's not people download trailers for movies and are super excited to share them with each other. That's an ad. It just happens to be an ad for a thing that that person really, really wants. And that's the thing, like an ad for, for something that you are excited about and want doesn't feel like an ad. It's an ad for a thing that you don't want or don't care about or already bought. There's nothing more annoying than when Amazon tells me, hey, do you want to buy that thing? And I'm like, Amazon, aren't you smart enough to know that I bought that literally yesterday? Don't tell me to buy it again. I just bought it. And the, <laughs> right. That happens. That happens to everybody. Right. That the, like the thing that was oh, yeah. sitting in your in your checkout, in your cart, you know, it tells you, hey. The thing, you want to buy that? I was like, I literally bought it yesterday. I already bought it. Um, yeah. so- and it's how intrusive they are for me, not whether or not I want the thing. There are a lot of things that I want, but as I'm reading an article uh, on the New York Times or CNN or wherever, what I want to be doing is finishing that article. And if a pop-up ad comes up and is something annoying or the worst or on mobile or it like automatically kicks you over to the app store, even if it's an app I was going to download, like Boomerang or something, that's tons of fun. I would still be like, I don't want to see this right now that's like i was about to say what i'm about to say right now is going to change gaming forever but first a word from our spot like that's annoying and so it doesn't matter it's not targeting that makes the ad okay it's how it's integrated into the content that you're watching it james bond drinking a heineken fine doesn't ruin the experience at all but it's kind of does (laughs) yeah (laughs) did did it or did the rest of uh uh, the last movie is very poor um (laughs) i don't know kind of it is related, but not directly, right? Like what Al Franken uh, wrote in his actual letter, uh, which I thought was actually very concise and, and actually displayed an actual like working knowledge of what the Rift is, what it's doing, and had some really cogent questions that I think are worth answering. Um, I also find it interesting that we really believe in these EULAs, don't we? Like we really believe that what they say is true and, and what they say they do and don't do is accurate. Like we really believe in it. Like we're, we're totally down. Like, oh, they edited that. So now they don't say that thing they're doing. They say they're not doing it now. Good. Then I'm fine. Like, come on. Like they, they collect everything. It's all just data, right? Like whether it's anonymized or not. I think what uh, 
where my concern comes in is actually a little bit further into the future. I don't mind being a data point. I don't mind being an anonymous data point. I don't mind if they know how long I play a certain game or how I interact with a certain game, things like that. In the future, though, when we're actually in VR and we're actually um, like right now, VR is a fairly singular experience. We don't do much interacting with other people in VR. In the future, like five years from now, when we've headsets are wireless and you know we're able to kind of interact much easier with them, it's things like recording what happens. You know, in, recording like is like we freak out if a TV has a microphone on it. Like I think Vizio had a TV, and all of a sudden they were like, "Oh, whoops, yeah, no, we've we've been recording, or we've been <laughs> yeah. like picking up your microphone conversations." by our servers whoops like like <laughs> weird things like that if i'm in vr like you kind of end up in the situation where if you're hacked like if they're hacked and they have conversations they have data on what you're talking about they have data on what you're doing they have data on the virtual affair you're having with somebody else who happens to be a unicorn which is none of your business and, and a beautiful it, wonderful thing so butt out of it and much more supportive of me than my spouse, but I don't want to go into it. But they have that information now. If you get hacked and that inf- that kind of information is being collected, that's where it gets personal. It gets really scary. Like you hear about dating sites being hacked. You know, uh, I think Ashley Madison or like sites that are about having an affair. All of a sudden, they get hacked. Yeah. Like that. That that's where this kind of stuff becomes really important to me. Not so much. Um, you know, did I spend money to buy the special DLC, you know, glowing sword, but is our like things that are going to be really fundamental are, am I protected from having those recorded? Um, and you're back into a more like NSA style territory. Um, uh, and like that, that personal part, that's where I start to get worried. So I think the question that, um, Senator Franklin is asking are very cogent and very relevant and should be answered. Yeah. Whether or not they will be on some platitudes, I don't know. Well, I, I want to move on. I, this, I think this has been a really cool conversation, but you know, I'm, we have actual awesome games to talk about, so I do want to move on. But real quick, Christian, is this enough for you to like not want to have an Oculus? At, I mean, you already don't really want one, but would this would this be a game or a, a, a deal breaker for you? No, when it, I mean, I share in your view of that well i live a very public life in general and this thing sending my data i'm okay with that but i think it's right to challenge that and not just say this is the world we live in and it's fine i mean yeah. i think people should be made aware of it and allowed to make their own decisions and would i prefer if facebook didn't do that yes yes i would but it is it's not a deal breaker for me personally yeah yeah i think i i'm on that page as well um I would love for you guys to send in your opinions about this. It's would be an ongoing conversation. I think is interesting. I know it's a big one and it's it's a common one, but that's the, these are the times we live in. This is what's going on. Um, so you can always send that to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, maybe it's an awkward transition, but I do need to pay our bills uh, and tell you about a sponsor that I'm actually really glad is sponsoring the show. I know uh, I we don't take any of your data, but I think that there's probably a large portion of our audience that wears underpants. I'm just I I just sense that I think that uh, based on based on the small sample size that I've had of personal conversations with people that listen to this show, uh, most of them do wear underpants. Um, so it's it's really lucky that Mac Weldon found an audience like ours to 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 talk about their product, which is in fact underpants, simple uh, basics like shirts and socks and undershirts and. And uh, things that you wear and you want to be comfortable. Uh, now that Mac Weldon has been sponsoring our show for a, a while, 
I, I have to say, I prefer, genuinely prefer their boxers to the other boxers that I have been wearing, mostly because they're the most comfortable. They really are. Uh, and they're uh, antimicrobial, which is nice. That means they don't, you know, don't stink. Uh, and and uh, they have really, really high quality stuff. They are shipped and you, you purchase them online. They're shipped to your house. It's all really nice. It's that new way, that new internet economy that makes thing, buying things so much easier and so much better. Comes to your house in cool packaging. Uh, Christian and I both have, uh, have we have differing, as with most things, we have differing styles, but the same end goal. And, uh, you know, he's a trunks man. I'm a boxers dude. But I think we can agree, you know, when the chips are down. Mac Weldon. Pretty good place to get those basics, right, Christian? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. Mac Weldon's new tagline, uh-huh. <laughs> Mac Weldon, uh-huh. uh-huh. So here's the thing. We're going to hook you up. If you want to get, if you want to upgrade your basic wardrobe, if you want to get better underpants, if you want your underpants not to stink, if you want socks that will make a statement, that look cool, that add little accents of awesome Subtle stuff that I think cool people will will recognize. Maybe uh, ladies, a lot of ladies understand that you know the the tiny little accents to your wardrobe mean a lot. We're gonna hook you up with twenty percent off. All you gotta do is go to macweldon.com. M a c k w e l d o n dot com. You'll get twenty percent off by using our promo code DLC at checkout. It's great. Check them out. MacWeldon.com. Use that promo code DLC. It lets them know that you enjoyed the content that we give you for just a, a small uh, bit of your time to hear about these awesome products. Uh, so use that promo code DLC. We'll give you 20% off your order. and Everybody will be happy and your, your uh, underpants won't smell. So there you go. Cool stuff. Um, all right, guys. Uh, let's move on. I, there's so much, so much fun stuff to talk about in the playlist. Let's get to that now. I'm so glad you are on the show, Sean, because uh, two of the games that I want our show to talk about, but I have not played, and I don't think Christian has played either, uh, you have been playing. So first of all, I know you're a Dark Souls guy, and you've been writing a bunch of stuff on GamersWithJobs.com about your experience with Dark Souls 3. Uh, Can you relate that to our audience? What is your experience with Dark Souls 3 at this point? Um, well, uh, it's, it's been good, uh, so far. I got a, a copy of the PC version about a week early from, uh, from software's PR. Uh, so, uh, you know, just full disclosure there. And I am a, a bit of a known, uh, Dark Souls homer. Um, I've, I've been on board with this whole series since, uh, Demon Souls, uh, a long time ago. So Dark Souls 3 came out and I was really excited to get a copy of it and just up front, like Dark Souls 2 had some real issues with their PC port. Uh, it, it we talked about like the whole quantum break issues dark souls 2 had similar issues it was locked at 30 frames a second it was a little bit janky it didn't run really well uh, dark souls 3 i'm happy to report runs at a, a solid 60 frames although you will not go over 60 frames hmm. there's no way to unlock that unless you hack it because the dark souls 3 is timing based and the frames per second are part of that so it is locked at 60 and you're not going to go higher than that uh, for gameplay reasons. Uh, so uh, when you look at Dark Souls 3 benchmarks, it's like at a certain point you hit a certain card, like a GTX 970, it's like 60 frames and everything above it's just 60, <laughs> 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 which is kind of fun. Um, so yeah, so it's been running really well. It looks very nice. Um, uh, as far as the game, um, it's been an interesting process because I played 
through Bloodborne twice on the PS4, uh, which is a obviously in that same oeuvre, but a very different kind of game. Bloodborne is very quick. You don't have shields. It's very much about dodging and counterattacking and staying on top of your enemies and really just hammering them down as quickly as possible. And Dark Souls 3 takes it a step back, not all the way back to Dark Souls 2, where you really could just put on heavy armor, have a massive shield and just tiptoe your way through the whole game almost. In Dark Souls 3, they do want you to move a little bit more, but they still have shields. It's still very much in the Souls series. Uh, I've compared this from going from, say, Assassin's Creed 2 to Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Like, this is a real, it's been two years and here's your sequel mm-hmm. kind of game. Uh, so it's very much not, it's not changing the whole formula like it did with Bloodborne. Um, it's very much a Souls game. And so you really need to, have your expectations there. Like if you didn't like Dark Souls, if you didn't like Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3 is not a big uh, change. It's still very much the same game. And that's, that's uh, it's good. I like the Souls games, you know, just like I like the Assassin's Creed series. But when they start to get this sort of annual feeling, mm-hmm. you're kind of like, okay, maybe maybe we can, I don't know, slow down. Like I like Bloodborne being so different and going back to this, it's not so much it's taking a step back, but it's just more like I've played this before. It's new areas, new level design, new enemies. Um, They've got some really neat wrinkles, but it is fundamentally a Dark Souls game. And like, I don't know if I want a Dark Souls 4 next year based on what I'm playing like today Interesting in Dark Souls 3. Um, because it's all the stuff is there and they've executed it very well. And I've really been enjoying it. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm starting to feel that first sign of fatigue with the gameplay style. Right. Wow. Um, Which, uh, which not to say I'm bored or I'm not enjoying it, but it's just like you you play enough games, you start to get these feelings. And like the feeling I've got with dark souls three is like, I'm going to finish this. I'm enjoying it. I'm really having a good time but I can just tell mm-hmm. like, it's just like, it's the same engine, same time kind of gameplay. Uh, although I will say this, there's some really neat wrinkles that I really enjoy. Uh, they've streamlined it a little bit. It's a little bit easier to understand what you need to do now. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, in dark souls two, you had Estus flask, which is your health. Right? right. And you could upgrade that Estus flask. And anytime you go rest at a bonfire, it resets the whole world, but it also fills your uh, Estus flask back up. So you have more health potions basically. In Dark Souls 3, what they've done is you still have the Estus Flasks, but now there's this new system they call Focus Points, which is basically like a blue mana bar. So Focus Points are what you cast spells out of. That's what drains that when you cast a spell. But even if you're like a sword and shield knight and you have no magic, every weapon has a Focus Point, uh, a Focus Attack. Oh, neat. So it has its own little move set, and that drains that same Focus Bar, the same mana bar. So you still need to manage that. So with the Estus Flask, you can actually choose. Like, I have five Estus Flask total. I can assign three to health and two to focus points. Wow. Or four to health and one, or everything to health, or everything to focus points. Interesting. So you have this, like, extra layer of, like, what do I want to manage? What's important to my character? Do I do a lot of special attacks? Do I never do them? Which is certainly a possibility. Um, And then all the different weapons, although unlike Bloodborne, you've got, like, a handful of different weapons to choose from in Dark Souls 3. There's a whole bunch of different ones and their movesets are very similar to what they were in Dark Souls 2. But now with these, these special focus attacks, each one uh, has its own little set of um, extra moves that you can do that drain that bar. So it does have like some extra little layers of crunchiness that they've rolled in that doesn't make it unapproachable or clumsy or too much to deal with. Like it all 
it all rolled in very well. Like it's very well designed. They have, it's not, doesn't feel bloated, I guess I would say. That's super cool. I mean, one of my favorite things about Dark Souls is when you get a new weapon and going, oh, what is this moveset like? What do I, what do I do with this? And having that extra bit of sort of special attack does seem to make that, that process even more enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I wrote a, uh, a column for the Gamers with Jobs magazine a while back about, you know, kind of discovering the Dark Souls uh, world and kind of uh, getting over that hump of feeling like it might not be a game for me and really enjoying and finding my way in. Uh, and I did that with Dark Souls 2. And we had uh, Patrick Klepek on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, oh, Dark Souls 2 is the worst Souls game. Uh, he's like, you, you, you played the worst one. And 3, he said, is sort of a return to what made 1 so good. Do you, would you agree with that? Or do you think that, it, I mean, I understand you're sort of feeling the, a little bit of the been there, done that stuff, but do you think it, it kind of no. recaptures the, the, you know? No, he's out of his mind. Like, <laughs> I love Patrick, but um, like Dark Souls 3 is more like an amalgamation of 1 and 2. Um, like uh, Dark Souls 1 or Demon Souls before it was very, uh, like the level design was very recursive. Like you you kind of go out in these ever expanding loops. So like you kind of go out for a while and then it loops back, you get a shortcut And it kind of takes you back to sort of a central area and then you kind of keep looping out. Dark Souls 3, um, I would say, feels actually a little bit more, there's a certain linearity linearity to it um, that um, is is very kind of, it's it's a different kind of feeling. I don't feel like Dark Souls 3 is a return to form exactly. It's actually, if anything, more of an extension of what Dark Souls 2 had had laid out. Hmm. Like Bloodborne, if anything, was more of a return to form to Demon Souls and Dark Souls because it was very much about that looping level design, which is makes you feel like just like, whoa, this world is so comprehensive and cohesive. And, you know, like I've gone all the way around here and now I'm back to here again. And this is amazing. Dark Souls 3 is more, there's a more of a linear, there's branching paths here and there, but it's more of a, it's more, it's more linear. It's more like Dark Souls 2 hmm. in that way. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say it's a return to form. I, I think that the differences are, they're subtle. Uh, and I don't know that you're necessary. And, and because Dark Souls as a series doesn't, they don't lay it out for you. They don't give you everything. Like I did this little 12 minute video on YouTube for our GW play, GWJ Plays channel, where I just talked about the Dark Souls 3, like just the Dark Souls series narrative design and, and how they leave a lot to the imagination. They let you fill in the gaps yourself. Uh, the game design is like that too. Like I think that depending on like your imagination and your feelings about Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, is really going to that is going to dictate more about what you think about each game rather than their actual fundamental design decisions hmm. because it's like where you're at when you play these games and what you put into them really dictates what you put what you get out of it too so for some like I don't think there's like a big fundamental design difference between the three there's just variations on a on a theme very cool, man. I, I'm so tempted. So I got so many things on my plate right now as far as games go. I, I don't know if I'm. It, it takes it takes such a commitment. And the reason I think I got into Dark Souls two when I did it was like I cleared my plate and it was like Dark Souls two is what I'm doing and that's the game I'm playing right now. And my friends were playing and and everybody and we you know, I could sort of co-op stuff and it's like this is what we're doing. And uh, I just don't feel that right now with the division and and here's the storm and like all the cool games that are coming out, you know, the uncharted on the horizon it just feels like ah, it's not, not a good time. Dark souls three. I, I can't, I can't devote it to you. 
it's hard. Yeah, just play Salt and Sanctuary instead. You know, like just just it's like a Dark Souls light. Yeah, I was talking about that last week, dude. That game is is brilliant. It's like yes, Dark Souls works in two D. How did they make? How did they know that it could work in two D? It's like a perfect version of it in two D. Cool. Yeah, it's a beautifully blatant homage. Yeah. Like, I just love the I love the the guts that it takes to just say, now nah, we're just going to do a 2D version of this thing we like. Yeah. And it works. It totally it does. So it's crazy. Uh, but speaking of 2D, uh, tell me about Hyper Light Drifter. This is another game that I've been flirting with um, because I don't know if I'm going to love it. People seem to either love it or or hate it. So are you on the love it train? Um. It depends when you ask me. Um, <laughs> what about like right if, now? Uh, I, I would, and, it, and, it, and it's funny, like Hyperlight Drifter, it depends on which direction you go. Because in the opening of the game, you can go north, east, or west. There is a south, but it's obviously blocked off. If you just go straight north, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you go uh, west, it's actually, you can play for a good couple hours before you hit like a really hard thing and that really that really stops you in your tracks. So Hyperlight Hyperlight Drifter, in a way, it's sort of a bad version of what Dark Souls does. Um, what Dark Souls does is it's very deliberate in what it tells you and doesn't tell you in terms of what directions it gives you, what insights it gives you in terms of how to control the game, how to move it. Like Dark Souls leaves a lot for you to discover on your own. Hyperlight Drifter tries to do that too, but it's too obtuse. It's not designed as smartly. So the the stuff that's obtuse, it feels less like a discovery. And at times it feels just more raw frustration, which I think is where a lot of people uh, fall down on it because it does have, it, it has no words at all. There's mm-hmm. no language in it. It's, there's no English or anything. You just run through this world and you pick up stuff and it brings up like a screen where like a little grid fills up and you don't know why or what it means. Yeah. Um, and, and it is like, seems like a currency and you do kind of feel it out and figure it out. There are stores you can go then spend that currency to buy stuff and unlock new abilities. And that kind of makes sense. And you move through the world. The actual gameplay is actually the best part. Like it's, it's, it's isometric. It looks kind of like, um, like, uh, like a little bit like Diablo or a little like Bastion. It controls more like Bastion, like where it's more direct control. And it is like Dark Souls. It's very timing based. Like you've got a sword and then you've got ranged attacks and the neat thing about it is that your range attacks only have so many energy charges. So when you shoot, you can't move. You have to stop and aim and shoot. So it's a deliberate decision. And you recharge your ability to shoot by doing melee attacks on enemies, hmm. which are more like a ninja guide and like zipping around, slash, slash, ducking and moving. You, mm-hmm. you got to really move like Muhammad Ali. You got to like really get in there, hit him and get out. Right. right. And so when you're doing that, now you've got charges on your gun and you can shoot your gun again. Like it's and, and that's the extent of the control you'll eventually like get a grenade that you can throw, but that's it. Like it's basically dodge, sword attack, shoot, special ability. That's the, that's the entirety of the control. And within those limitations, like sometimes the game feels like a bullet hell shmup mm. where there's just a lot of enemies and dodging you're doing. Sometimes you got to like, you're fighting one big enemy and you've got to be really deliberate on how you attack. You got to watch its animations and time stuff. Like when it all clicks, it's really, really satisfying. And I'm at a point with the game now where I've explored everything I think that I can, because there's a lot of just world puzzles, which are just sort of traversal puzzles throughout the world, using your dash jumps and things like that, um, hidden platforms and stuff like that. And I've hit a point where I'm just lost. Like, I don't know what to do next. And there is an overworld map, but it's not complete. Like, it's 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 obtuse. Like, hmm. you don't know exactly where the paths are. And so I'm at a really annoying point in the game where I don't know where to go next or how I reach the next boss 
So all I can do is run around the world a lot and try and figure it out. And because there's no like language in the game about where you are exactly, it's really hard to go online and ask for help. Because oh, you can't even because describe. I can't tell you where I'm at. That's crazy. Because you can't describe it. And it is essentially an open world game. Yeah. So there's no like like waypoints or anything like that. So it's hard to like tell people where you're at and what you've done and haven't done. So it's got a wonderful sense of discovery. And when it clicks, it's great. But there are definitely pain points where you just hit a wall, like you, you hit a boss you can't beat or you hit a you don't know where to go next. And it really is can be frustrating, along with stuff like there's secret paths. But the only way to find them sometimes it's like there's just like trees. Right. And so you run into a tree and all of a sudden, like you keep running, you're like, oh, I'm in a secret area. And so you keep running, then you end up in a little room. What that that's cool. What that ends up meaning is then you're just basically wall humping tree lines, whole <laughs> level areas because you're like, oh, maybe here, maybe here. It's like in a video game, you break a barrel and you get something. Yeah, just guaranteed you're going to break hundreds of right. barrels on the five percent chance that it'll drop something that might be useful. Yeah. So it's got it's got a real push and pull. So I like Hyperlight Drifter. Um, I'm enjoying the gameplay of it. Uh, I hope they will patch it or do something with it to make it a little bit more approachable because they've erred too far on the side of like, we're not going to tell you anything. It's discovery time. It's just like, guys, it's, that's not the good kind of discovery. (laughs) Wow. Well, I, have been playing a game that is, is kind of the opposite of, of those two games, uh, that I can only talk about because this episode's coming out on Monday, but I've been able to play the, the new ratchet and clank, which is going without a subtitle, um, on PS4 and my goodness, is it delightful uh, on every conceivable level. It just is pure fun. And it is it is kind of an antidote for all of the, you know, the the, the Dark Souls of the world, the, the, these roguelikes that, ha- that are really fun and challenging and, and awesome. But having a throwback to a game that's just pure joy, you know, that just gives you exactly what you want, which is beautifully rendered environments. I mean, absolutely Pixar level animated movie joy, uh, these amazing sci-fi environments running around with a fantastic frame rate, super responsive, uh, platforming, but very forgiving platforming, puzzle solving in the, in the clank levels that are, you know, very simplistic puzzles. And that just joyous feeling of smashing everything in the environment with all these crazy weapons and having cascades of little bits and bobs, little screws and nuts and bolts come showering onto you as you collect, you know, the, the discarded uh, currency from defeating enemies. I mean, the, the number of bolts and screws and stuff that, that are coming at you at any given moment, there's something to me, I, I can't explain why that is so pleasurable to, to see that just like massive amount of collection that I'm constantly doing when I'm beating up enemies. Uh, but I love it. And, and the game is, you know, it tells a silly story that is, is presented through these great cutscenes that feel like you're watching an animated movie that it like, I kind of can't even believe the game looks as good as it does because you know, I remember the first Toy Story and going, oh man, if only video games could look like that. And here we are, video games look way better than the first Toy Story. Um, and 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 the voice acting is wonderful and the animation looks like, you know, like a kid's movie. And they've done all kinds of really wonderful updates to this to this series. They've added a cool new up, um, 
upgrade system for your weapons that's almost like playing Hexen, where you like open up, uh, I don't know, hex-based um, ar- uh, areas that lead to other upgrades. And then if you encircle an, an, a mystery upgrade, you get that one with, with the other hexes on the grid. Um, and that's and it's cool. It's just it's just like super light, super fun, very accessible, and I can just sort of sit on my couch and lean back and watch this gorgeous game and be in that world and just have fun for like, you know, I sit down for twenty minutes and I end up playing it for two hours. You know, it's like that kind of thing. It's great. Uh, I would love to know how many people got your Hexen reference. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, I guess that's an old game now, huh? The Xbox. Just just a tinge. <laughs> the first, well, you know, like that hex-based, like uh, almost like a puzzle game where you're like, you know, circling items or circling hexes yeah. with other hexes. Yeah, it, it looks gorgeous. And it, 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 game, like it is a, it, it's a 3D, it's a platformer. Gameplay wise, does this still hold up? Is this still something that... Uh, is still compelling to play or is it more like putting on like a comfortable pair of sweats? I, it's probably the latter, but I, but I, I, I mean, I really enjoy the game. And I mean, it is a shooter, you know, those, those Ratchet and Clank games are always kind of shooters too. I mean, you get these wacky weapons, but a lot of them are just guns. And so you are shooting stuff and, and uh, dodging incoming bullets. And, and I'm, you know, I'm doing that quite a lot. I'm not, you know, I'm smacking things and jumping around and, and having a good, good old time, but it, it, it doesn't feel antiquated to me in any way especially visually it's you feel like you're in this majestic gorgeous world and and the the game keeps switching things up on you i mean the the set pieces are so awesome i mean one moment you're like on this train and you have to go forward on the train and and attack things and another moment you're doing a spaceship battle where you're kind of doing very simplistic things with a spaceship almost like a, a star fox type of a situation and at another point you're you know you're having this wild chase sequence as monsters are chasing you none of it is particularly complex or difficult it's just all fun and it 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 changes quickly enough that you never get tired of it at least i don't yeah it's stunning yeah like, you really can't understand how good it looks like normally with an hd remake i expect like higher resolution maybe they upgrade some textures this looks like a ps4 game yeah and 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 i i think they did a heck of a lot more than just you know up stuff i I have a tough time remembering playing this game because all the Ratchet and Clanks sort of, you know, meld together in my memory. But I don't, so I don't remember specifically what is new and what is old here, but they've definitely done a lot of stuff. There's a bunch of even... My impression is that the visuals were completely redone. I mean, my belief is, and maybe I'm just buying into the PR hype, but that this is a brand new game and like their synopsis says it in, you know, the way that Insomniac does. An all-new adventure, which is based on the upcoming film that is based on the 2002 PlayStation 2 video game. But my yeah. understanding is that this game was, you know, by and large built from the ground up. It's just of that first game. So it's a new game that is the retelling of the first game. I don't think this is, you know, like Uncharted 1 HD or something like Not that. I think all. they no. really spent time no, like redoing I'm actually it. looking at footage from the PS2 version. It looks like garbage. <laughs> so uh, like, I think, like it looks completely different. Yeah, than, and even what, even like story beats, they do a bunch of uh, sort of meta jokes about how this game has been rebooted and now we're inside a reboot of a reboot and this is the game based on the movie, based on the game. You know, it's like they do a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, there's content that's new as well, so... Um, it's, it's fantastic. I couldn't recommend it higher. Um, Christian, is there anything on your playlist? 
So I've been wading through The Division. I'm still stuck in New York. And my question to you, Jeff, Sean, have you been playing The Division? Oh, yeah, I've played quite a bit. I haven't quite finished it, but uh, I kind of stalled out a few weeks ago, actually. I think I might be getting there and maybe I'm playing wrong. I'm still really enjoying it. I think I'm level 16, so halfway through the story level progression. But I found that I can't play story missions. I'm not high enough level to do the next story mission. Is that how the game played out for you, Jeff? Like, is it does it require side mission grinding for a couple hours before, or am I just messing up some? Well, I, I actually had the opposite experience, and maybe that's because I was doing a lot of side missions, but I always found myself wildly outleveled for the area that I was still in. But I was doing, I was huh. doing everything. I was doing, I was playing that game the way I play a lot of things, which is, Hey, I'm going to set a waypoint for this thing, but on the way there, Oh my gosh, there's all this cool stuff. And I'm just going to get sidetracked and go do that. Cause I'm not sure if other side missions open. I mean, I think they do kind of spool open, but right now, you know, when you open up your options and you go over to all missions, I only have two side mission, no three, three side missions left unchecked and a ton checked. And I'm only level 16 and, I don't like the encounters haven't been that much fun for me. I'm just not sure. I I like the game. I just feel like venture you know, into other a, areas. Cause have you just, are you just staying in the area? That's your level area. No, 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 no. I've, I, I think I have almost every, I, the entire little grid, except for the middle part. That is the dark zone. I have open that I can go to with missions in and there. You've been and, to every safe room on the map. Cause if you go to the safe rooms and you walk up to the, to the app that's mm-hmm. in the safe room, it'll open up a whole bunch of new stuff on your, on your yeah because some of the missions are go to new safe rooms yeah. and i've i've done all of those maybe i'm not maybe i haven't unlocked some yet but then if i haven't they're in parts of town that are you know level 28 story mission stuff so i just maybe haven't ventured over ventured over there when i thought i did and and it's a thing where like i'm having fun but this game and i don't want to put words in your mouth sean like this is maybe what you're feeling but like i'm having a lot of fun with it but i'm also thinking well this is a good time in my personal gaming life to maybe be tackling some backlog stuff because Uncharted 4 is coming. I want to spend some time with Ratchet uh, when I'm able to get some time with that. And it's like, uh, I'm I'm sitting there debating, I'm having fun, but have I had enough fun? Like, how do I want to grind for this to two hours to do the next story beat? Or should I just move on from this game that I've spent 22 hours playing and, you know, be good with it? And (laughs) that's just the, the personal dilemma I have. It's kind of the boat I'm in too. I I consider it a sort of Skinner box fatigue uh, because once you get a real taste for what the gameplay loop is, like go to new area, do main quests, do some side stuff, do some encounters. Oh, you finished the encounters. Now, uh, did you upgrade the security place so that when you finish all the encounters on a map, it automatically shows you like where all the cell phones and data drops are? Like that kind of stuff has little experience point hits too, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like I do an area, do all that, do the whole loop go get new gear, put on gear, compare gear, craft some stuff. And once I've done that loop like five or six times, I do hit a point where I'm like, yeah, okay, I know what this is. Yeah, okay, I know what's going to be happening for the next 10, 15 hours if I keep playing and finishing the story. So I enjoy the loop. It's a good loop. But I just like um, the novelty hound in me is kind of like, I just feel like as a third person cover base shooter, the variety just isn't there for me anymore. Like that's what would really keep me coming back. Like when you play dark souls, the variety is like new area, new enemy types, new, like it's, there's all new stuff to discover in the division. It's more like new area, same kind of enemies, but with more hit points. Well, couldn't I reduce dark souls to something too? And 
I have not played Dark Souls, any of the Dark Souls games. I played a little bit of Demon Souls and I maybe got halfway through Bloodborne. But I feel like, you know, you can reduce any game to something that might sound snide or snarky, where it's like Dark Souls 3, get to new area, explore slowly, break open things to get orbs, encounter new monsters, learn new monsters, tell, take down new uh... monsters. I don't think it's reductionist exactly like the division like is is it's actually like objectively the at least at least so far maybe there's new enemies I haven't hit in like the late 20s or something but it is the same enemies with the yeah. same behaviors right um in in this uh, not that it's not a great comparison but in the souls game since I did mention it, it it's new enemies in these new areas with very different behaviors and very different looks mm-hmm. and so it is it is it is actually different like in the division like once you fall out a lot of fire dudes and the hoodie guys, which is kind of problematic and weird in its own way. Like once you've kind of fought all those enemy types, like I know I'm just going to be fighting higher level versions of the exact same enemy behaviors. Like mm-hmm. that, well, that is a disincentive. There's a little bit of new stuff. Like they sort of add snipers and they add dudes that can throw down turrets and they add dudes that can sort of hack your turrets. And, you know, there, there's a little bit of that, but I, I take your point. My, my question to both of you is, are you, are you playing by yourself? Uh, I'm doing a mix. Yeah. I've uh, I've played a decent amount solo because after work sometimes I just don't feel like talking to human beings anymore. <laughs> um, and uh, but I've also played with I've got a pretty healthy friends list on the gamers with jobs community, sure. so I've played some co-op too. It's much better. Yeah, and, and I think I think that's the secret sauce of of any any game like that. Like you know, I, I really think we need to come up with a new term that describes what Destiny is and what Division uh, is, and and I think there's going to be a bunch more games like this. Golf, <laughs> golf, <laughs> shoot golf, <laughs> shoot golf. There we go. You heard it here first, folks. Shoot golf. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is. It is. I think these games are are designed to be as a social experience first, and um, and that that re- repetition of kind of hopping in with your friends and doing the thing you've done twelve times already. Is either you know it's either palatable or not, but I think it makes it much more palatable to do it with your friends and um, and I I certainly take your point. I I have gotten to the point that's similar to yours, but I, I didn't get to that point until well after getting to Endgame. Now Endgame, I'm very much excited for the twelfth when they release mm-hmm. um, the the new content because at this point, like going into the dark zone, playing for a couple of hours, hoping to get a yellow drop because anything lower than yellow is garbage. Um, You hope to get a yellow drop. Then you hope to be able to extract without getting ganked by dudes that have way better gear than you. And the game doesn't tell you whether people are a threat to you or not. So you don't have any idea whether your team can take their team or not, or if, you know, if you need to run away and you're sort of think we always assume everybody's going to be friendly and then guys get the jump on you and kind of can take you out before you even realize you're being attacked and they're turning on you. So all that stuff kind of makes for a relatively unsatisfying dark zone experience after a while where it's like, well, you know, I played for two hours and I didn't get a single yellow drop. And that's, that's the way these games are. That's the way Diablo is and the way destiny is and the way that loot games are. It's like, well, if you, you, you're playing the slot machine, you hope that the slot machine gives you a good piece of loot, but I'm excited that there'll be new content and I hope they recognize that. I hope that incursion really does feel cool and different. And I hope they recognize that adding new types of experiences really will, will help that game. Yeah. I'm just curious. I mean, I think if I were clicking off story progression, I don't know if I would have stalled out the way I'm stalling out where, and again, the side missions are, they're fun. They're fine. But I think 
you know, they did a really good job crafting the story missions in terms of enemy encounters and the way you explored this big building or this big space. And, you know, compliments to the chefs again at Ubisoft for where they, they laid those encounters out. And so I know that there are these really cool things out there that I just can't quite get to. And it's like, okay, so you can do these things that are fun, but you got to do an hour of this. And then you get to do the thing. You It's like if someone kept bringing me salad, that's good salad, but I know I have a main course. I just need to not be full <laughs> by the time it gets there. But at the same time, I don't know if gamers, and maybe I've said this on the show before, I don't know if I would enjoy a game more that's like two hours of The Division and then I unlock um, Chelsea and I go into Chelsea and all of a sudden it's The Witness. Right. <laughs> it's like totally different gameplay loop. Then I solve The Witness and I, I get into Brooklyn and it's Portal or whatever. So, you know, I don't know quite what the answer is, but it, it, I think it's mostly on me for playing it wrong. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, I have a couple of other games I want to mention on my playlist. Uh, one of them is called Welkin Road. Uh, and I'm not able to give a review of this game, but I am able to give impressions. So I don't know. I don't know what the difference is exactly. I guess I can give you a... <laughs> just don't just don't give us a score. Yeah, I guess end. I can give a number at the end. But uh, have you played this, Sean? No, okay. not at all. So I went bananas last year, I think it was, uh, about a game called The Story, uh, A Story About My Uncle. And it, it, it remains one of my favorite game, small games of, of all time. And the reason I love The Story About My Uncle, despite its terrible title, is that it delivered this feeling of being Spider-Man. It, is, it was a Spider-Man simulator. You were swinging, you were leaping and casting yourself off into the abyss. And at the last second basically you know using your grappling hook or whatever it was like your your light beam uh but it was basically spider-man it was basically like shooting a web out of your hand and swinging on a thing and the sense of momentum and the sense of the the thrill of of just jumping off of what is ostensibly you know the skyline of manhattan but in this game was like you know rocks in a alternate dimension uh it, it was so thrilling and it really just captured that that escapist fantasy that I'd always had. Um, this is a game, Welkin Road, that aims to do a very similar thing, but adds in sort of an N-plus style puzzle. Uh, and I I feel like this game was made for me, and yet I'm having a hard time loving it. Uh, mostly because, I mean, it's still in early access, and it is, uh, I, I think that it's going to be updated, Right now, it does not support a controller on the PC. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I've spoken before on the show about my difficulties as a left-handed person uh, dealing with mouse and keyboard. Most games are very, very well designed for right-handed people and very few games. Although, by the way, I forgot to mention this. The Division is a great uh, example of a game that does it right. It's a great exception to this rule. The division has a checkbox that says left-handed and it maps all the keyboard stuff to a left-handed person. You don't have to do it all yourself. By the way, huge, huge props to the division for that because I never see that. Uh, you almost always awesome. have to like go in and specifically remap each key and it also – and it never really works that well because a, a, you know, a keyboard is not symmetrical. It's, it's not the same on both sides and so it, it, the way the game is designed almost never maps – effectively to the other side anyway uh <laughs> you should get an astromo or something like that would probably really help you out what was that 
Uh, like a Nostromo, like a, it's a, it's like a little mini keyboard, oh, like a yeah. gaming keyboard that you just have like it on a like a left-handed style and and just uh, you got to do a little remapping, but then it's probably like that's probably the best it's ever going to be. Well, this game, Welcome Road, it, it is is very complex. You are you are in first person and you are uh, traversing these incredibly um, sort of bland environments there it's it's very minimalist right it's just blocks it's white blocks and red blocks and it's just it's very uh sparse and monochromatic uh but basically the idea is you have a lot of control over how you move you you can you can leap you can sprint you can crouch and you can even crouch in the air and sometimes in order to land on a on a uh a platform you have to crouch in the air to sort of lift your legs up to make it onto that ledge um, you can, you know, you can, you can control each of your hands independently using the mouse buttons and each of them can shoot this beam off. That's sort of like Spider-Man's web that make, lets you swing on things. Um, y- you have the ability to control your momentum in, in the air and control the way you swing in the air. And it's all very precision based traversal. And the idea is get to the end of this massively large level uh figure out how to get to the end do it and move on to the next level i mean it's very much like n plus or something where it's just like can you get to the end of the level and you're you're constantly trying to figure it out i mean it's as much a mental puzzle as it is anything else but it is very much a dexterity puzzle as well and i found my hand just being tied in knots, trying to hit all the buttons the way I need to in just the right moments. And the thing that the story about my uncle did so well, and incidentally, Ratchet and Clank does well is too, too, because there's a lot of swinging in that game too, because you have a swing beam there, is that you know if the thing is on your screen, kind of near your reticle, your beam, your spider web will hit it and you'll start swinging. In Welkin Road... If you miss it by a fraction of an inch, or if you are not near it, uh, it you'll miss and you will fall to your death. It, it is very frustrating. You feel like it's right there. Why didn't my beam hit it? Well, there's a tiny little reticle and that reticle changes shape ever so slightly. And it is white on a white background. So it's very hard to see it, but it will, it will Ugh. change shape ever so slightly when you are in the perfect sweet spot to let your beam hit the target. And so I find myself just like staring intently at that reticle to hit like the, the targets. The first level I played, it took me, uh, I think it took me 58 minutes to get to the end of the first level. And I respawned. It gives you, by the way, at the end of the level, it gives you stats, a, a huge screen of stats. And the, and the whole idea about this game is be faster, be better. It gives you a ranking kind of like metal gear solid does. You know, I, I got a ranking of E, which I'm assuming means excellent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, I'm sure that's the best one I could get. <laughs> uh, but I, I respawned on the first level 260 times. So it took me 260 respawns to complete the first level of Welkin Road. I'm not saying I'm a great gamer, but I'm, I'm not bad. Uh, and the, the good news is it handles respawns in the, in the way, the only way that I would actually have played through to the end of the first level is that the re- respawns are instantaneous and almost exactly from right before you died. So 
it's not like you're getting to a checkpoint. It's not like you have to start at the beginning. It's like the jump that you just tried, you missed. Try that again. Okay, you got past that jump. The next jump you're going to try, you missed it. Try that jump again. You don't. There's no going back very far. And it's really all about like how fast can you do this? How few deaths can you have? How good at the game are you? And I'm sure this game is going to result in some incredible you know, speed running dudes or high skill guys when they really get their teeth into this thing. And if honestly, if this game supported a controller, I think I would have played a lot more of it. But after the first level, I was like, I can't do this to myself. I, I, I'm going to get, you know, uh, my hand is going to explode, I think, from from what I'm doing. It's an incredible thing, but it's just it needs controller support for me to play it more. Um, but it's an, it's an amazing game. Again, again it's called Welkin Road. It's on PC. Uh, I also tried to play the Battleborn beta. Did anybody else try that? I tried for ten minutes and couldn't get into a game. <laughs> Did you try, Sean? Yeah, I haven't had haven't had, a, haven't had the play. We got into a game. Um, I, we'll we'll talk more about this next week because we're running kind of long. But um, Battleborn has so much promise. The character designs are absolutely brilliant. They're so evocative and interesting looking, and I. Just, you know, when I finally got into a game and was able to scroll over all the characters and go like, oh, my God, there's so much rad here. I want to play this. And then we got into a, the story mode, which is basically like a multiplayer co-op thing. I mean, there is a story kind of, but it, it feels more like multiplayer levels that you're playing than anything else. And it's just a, a, a series of arenas where you fight bad guys and try not to die. And then you move on to the next arena where you fight bad guys. And, it you know, there's like jump pads, kind of like a multiplayer level, like a multiplayer Halo level or something. Um, but, you know, the characters are really interesting and cool. I didn't, I wasn't impressed by how the game looks. It's got this very cartoony, simplistic art style that might look better on a high-end PC, but I was playing it on PS4 and it just, it didn't look great from first person view and, I think I would have played more of that game as well, but, uh, you know, I was playing it with friends and we all waited in the queue for like 15 minutes on, you know, open beta day. And, uh, and then we all died on the boss at the end of the first mission. And instead of letting us retry it, we had to go back into the queue. And I was like, well, we're not going to sit here for 15 minutes to try that again. Uh, but it's an interesting mm. mechanic because you have a pool of lives as a team. And during the course of the level, you can earn more lives and you're trying to complete complete the mission before you run out of lives. Uh, and some of the battles were really interesting. Like there's this giant bug creature that we were fighting uh, where we would fight it outside and it was really dangerous and it was spawning a bunch of ads and we had to, you know, whittle it down. And then it would like go inside and we had to go inside and stand on these pads to activate something. And as soon as we activated it, the bug would emit this like green mist that would slowly poison us. So we had to rush out of that building and get back outside to fight it. So there's some cool, like, interesting mechanics there. Uh, hopefully by the time the game actually launches, it won't have these server queue issues, which I think really held it back from being more enjoyable. But I also feel like it didn't really get me. I, I wanted it to be a little bit more than what it was. I wanted it to be more borderlands than it is. And uh, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't super hooking me, but I, I love the character designs and I'm, I'm interested to play more. That's for sure, especially on PC. Hopefully it's beta and there, there's, you know, time for, I don't know if there is much time for fixes or improvements, but uh, I think there's a chance that there could be a great game in here somewhere. But right now it seems like more people are being frustrated waiting than they are having fun playing, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to hit on some discussion uh, from the last episode. Uh, Christian, you brought up a, a big comment or a, a big topic 
about reviews and you were talking about are reviews even useful anymore with so many things uh, being getting bad reviews and still selling well or, you know, movies that, that do well. Uh, do reviews, do people even use reviews to, to decide on their purchases? We got a bunch of replies, uh, to DLC feedback at gmail.com. Thanks to everybody who replied. Wanted to read a couple of them. This one comes from Benjamin. He said, I was listening to your conversation on the point of critical reviews on media. Thought I would share my two cents for me. Reviews serve as a sort of academic account on whether or not a film or game is good. A review may compare elements of the media to other similar works in the past to see how well it executes various elements like writing, directing, sound, gameplay, etc. A review may take into account what is considered good for each of these elements and how these elements have progressed over time. This is entirely different from if the work is enjoyable. So he thinks of it more like a, a sort of uh, people who have more um, a, a deeper knowledge base on that media type, giving him some context as a way to, you know, view that work rather than sort of deciding on whether it is good or bad. I appreciate the email, but I don't know if that's quite, I mean, that's like people were saying Batman v Superman got bad reviews because the media or reviewers usually don't like superhero movies or blockbuster movies and then pretended not to notice Force Awakens, Avengers, Ant-Man, Iron Man 2, the list goes on. I mean, I think people know it's fun. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, here's another email from Stuart. He says, uh, thanks for the great podcast as always. Christian, your approach to the value of reviews seems a bit skewed. All of your examples for times when reviews don't have an effect were for movies, games, albums, etc. that we are so excited about we will buy or watch straight away regardless. The things we are that passionate about make up at most 20% of the media we consume. The other 80% are games, movies, etc. We can take or leave. One of the examples for why, or one of your examples for why reviews are of no real, uh, are of no real uh, effect was purchase was a purchasing decision you made. You mentioned that you were excited for a game, but the review scores in general suggested that the game was going to be disappointing. You bought the game anyway, in spite of said reviews, and as it turned out, the game was a disappointment. I'm not sure that the takeaway from that particular purchasing decision was reviews are useful, or excuse me, reviews aren't useful. I suggest it should be instead, I should pay more attention to reviews. So he's from Cheshire in the UK and had that to say. What do you think, Christian? I mean, I I agree with that. My, I, I don't disagree with the statements in, in that article, but I guess my broader point that was maybe missed was the idea that I feel most people do that. And that's the question is if a, more people than not are disregarding a review for a thing to make their own decision of it to then also feel like it was of poor quality, at what point, why does the review exist other than to justify your feelings for the thing that you liked anyway? It's this weird echo chamber where you know reviews will come out and people will be mad before they even played the game. Like, there's no way Zelda's an 8. Zelda's got to be a 10. It's like, you haven't played it yet. It might very well be an eight. And so for me in this, in the example, you know, where I was like, oh, I got better views, but I'm going to play it anyway. Yeah, I should have listened more to the review. And I think more people should do that for other things as well. I think that's the problem. I think that's why reviews maybe don't have a place as presented anymore is because people aren't doing that with them. But I agree with Stuart. I think I think more people should pay attention to them or at least find voices that they tend to agree with 
and then maybe use that more in their purchasing decisions. Sean, what do you think about this idea? I mean, you're somebody that writes reviews, obviously, um, but I'm sure you also read them. Do you use reviews to inform your purchasing decisions or how, what's your take on where we are with quote unquote reviews? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I use reviews all the time um, because, uh, well, actually, uh, like The Order um, on PS4, uh, that was a game came out a while back. Um, that was a game that reviews are, steered me away from it because reviews kind of said, hey, you know what, four to five hours, you're done. It's a full price game. It's not a particularly good cover based shooter. Uh, that was a useful review that saved me a lot of money and I still haven't picked up the game. I'm still waiting for it to get cheaper. Um, but, um, so I think they're useful. Uh, I try really hard not to write them. Um, our, our site, we don't even give scores to things when we do write about right. games. Uh, but obviously we, we, we do like to cast judgment, uh, as all people do. I think that when it comes to reviews and the discussions around them, uh, one thing that on a gaming podcast, when we're talking about this stuff, I think that we lose touch like Batman versus Superman. I think we lose touch with the fact that most people don't read reviews in the same way that when I was a kid, I wasn't getting a gaming magazine and looking at reviews before I decided what I was going to rent with my allowance for the weekend. I just looked at the boxes and decided what looked cool mm -hmm. and I rented it. I think more people are in that boat uh, on the majority side of things than there are people who actually read and pay attention to reviews. Like when it comes to movie reviews, I'll check Rotten Tomatoes because if it's like a 10%, there's a good chance it's not going to be good and I won't play and I won't go and watch it. Uh, but if I'm interested in something based on the trailers and Rotten Tomatoes is like in a 60, 70% range, that's probably good enough for me, right? So I'll use it for that. But I, I think most people just aren't even engaging with content on that level. I think they really are just kind of going with their gut. Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny that you bring up The Order because that, that's an example for me of, of one of those games where I'm so glad I didn't listen to the review because I really enjoyed the experience of playing The Order. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's strange. I know that there are a lot of people for whom you know, reviews are useful, especially if you're only, you know, only going to buy a, a couple of games a year and you really want to get the most bang for your buck. You want to know what the best thing is, or, you know, you, you've only got uh, one movie to see in every couple of months and you really want to, you know, go to see that movie. But I, I don't know. I, I think they're, I think they are useful. And I think they, for my money, as I said last week, it, criticism in general, isn't as much for me about a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's about spurring a conversation and being, having that conversation with myself, with other people, with, you know, with the, the general consensus at large, like being kind of like what, um, what Benjamin said in, in his email, you know, say it's sort of an academic account, not even an academic account, but more like how does my opinion or my impression of, of something, even if I haven't seen it yet, how does that relate to, to what these people's opinions or impressions are? And are they seeing things in those things that resonate with me or that uh, make me see something else that I may have missed? That's what I'm hoping for, at least. I, I, maybe this is just semantics and then we can, I will bury this topic forever unless our audience wants to to keep listening me listening to me opine on it. But I, it's kind of like game of the year is phase of the year. I wonder if I would be better and not have this quote unquote problem of like people are publishing reviews and no one seems to care. You know, this, everybody bought this game. Everyone said this game was terrible, but you, you bought it. If instead of calling them reviews, everything was just opinions 
and then because opinions are like but that's what whatever it is. we all that's what have, it is that is what it is right but that's not but it's it's not all the time though which is why i can't i can't let myself get away with that because i feel like when someone writes a review especially from a respected source or whatever they're not out there just saying it like your friend brad who's like dude man quantum breaks yeah, dope. they are I shot that's some exactly stuff. what they are stuff. doing I think that's. I don't think. I don't think if you called the New York Times chief film critic and said, "Oh, so you're like Christian's friend Brad, who said that movie was dope." Go see it. He would. He's a very informed Brad. He's a he's a Brad. He's a Brad (laughs) who's been he's been watching movies for longer than actual Brad, and and therefore his opinion should be worth more. Well, his his opinion is valued by the publication that employs him to give his opinion, but it is. It is merely a, a tapestry of opinions that take place in our culture, and it is a, an opinion that is solely based within one person's subjective self. Right? He he comes from him, and he gives you his opinion. He's not. I think it's more of a problem with you thinking that they are talking for you or talking for some objective everyone that says this is a seven stamp. Yeah, yeah, probably. But I wonder where that line again, how I view a lot of life is taking it to the to the extreme ridiculous example. Is a doctor just that? Is a doctor my friend Brad that's like, dude, seems broken. No, there's medical training and background or whatever. Or uh, a nutritionist or someone who's doing fitness or a stylist or an interior designer or in any other thing. At some point, what we're selling are opinions. And I would hope that mine has some level of credibility behind it because of the amount of time I spend doing the thing that I'm giving my opinion on versus someone who's just like, man, what? I was like, yeah, you know, that should be worth less, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think by virtue of the fact that this person hopefully has some more experience in in the media that they're talking about, then maybe yeah. I mean, but it's up to you to give that, and then it's it's up to you to give that value people... or not. It's up to you to decide. Uh, it depends, right? So, man, you read some reviewers, and they're clearly like gunning for like a book deal yeah. or something. Like they're, they're not even really talking about the thing so much as they're waving their literary, uh, you know what, around to show how smart they are. Uh, like uh, just uh, to, I don't know. I obviously, you guys have talked about this a lot. Um, just to put kind of my own cap on it, I would say that uh, there's kind of two elements. One, so long as a review is helping generate those sweet, sweet reviews, <laughs> they have value. Um, and so, and if and if they're written very well, and if and if people really relate to the person, or they like not relating to the person, that has value to a publication, um, obviously. But I will say that my own personal habits, uh, I will. I will go and check out and see what Jeff thinks about a movie that I have zero intention of seeing because I'm interested in Jeff and what Jeff has to say about the movie, because in a way what I'm more interested in is how Jeff relates to that movie. Cause it tells me something interesting about Jeff, who is a guy that mm. I like and whose views I enjoy exploring. So it's like, in a way my, I, I look for like reviewer, like it's, it's less about the what's being reviewed and more about the person and their views of what they're looking at. Cause I like the way that uh, creative content brings out new, new things in people that I enjoy hearing from. Like, I think that it's less about getting a score and should I buy this or not? It's less about whether or not I, sh- I, sh- I should consume it. Uh, in, in a way, the reviewer is actually the thing I'm consuming rather than. I think that's really awesome. I, I, I really do. And not just because you, you used me as an example, but I, I can imagine, you know, you're. Oh no, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. I don't. 
G, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> uh, I just like the idea of you like sitting there on your average day, like cruising around, seeing, you know, seeing what I say about a movie, just cruising over to MacWeldon.com and using that promo code DLC and like cruising <laughs> on to your rest of your day. <laughs> no, but I think you're or like, or just, you know, I like to listen to your review movies while I look at pictures of you, like <laughs> oh, I'm glad I can help. Uh, you know, like, I, I, I get <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's an angle that, we've certainly never expressed here before, but I, th- I think that's exactly what I do as well is that the reviewer himself and the review as a piece of content is valuable. It's not just like, tell me what to buy. It's not a, it's not an Amazon <laughs> recommendation thing that I'm like, well, is this thing that I know I want good or bad? It really is a piece of entertainment in and of itself that, that is worthwhile. I think that's a great point. Well, sure, but that's a different thing, right? That's review as entertainment. That's Siskel and Ebert at the movies as a TV show and not just uh, being used for purchasing or ticket buying purposes. And I think that opens up its own can of worms because then who do you want? Richard Nixon or John F. Kennedy be your president, one who's looks good on TV and is pretty and can say things or one who is a that's a bad example but I think the idea makes sense I don't actually I, I, think inter- what you, I mean I'm, I'm saying that it doesn't really matter how telegenic someone is it it like a, or a YouTube a YouTube oh. there's YouTube stars that are let's be honest not telegenic and that's fine but they're good at what they do. Well, Someone who's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> We're so off the rails here. All That's I your have fault. To say, as, as my no, you brought you pulled these emails. Uh, as my my end cap for this is that I find it frustrating when I see my friends not listening to well educated and well informed opinions and reviews like from jeff Keeley and jeff gertzman and that's <laughs> jeff the only green. jeffs i know that i trust and jeff green right <laughs> uh saying things and then they go out and see the thing or play the thing and then they're like man that stinks and i find it personally frustrating so then i feel like what i'm doing here and what uh my friends and colleagues are doing i feel like i just feel like throwing all the paper in the air and going like what's the point and that's where it's coming from for me personally. And Fair that's enough. all. Fair that's enough. all. All right. Well, let's move on. We're, we're already long. And I I want to uh, I want to definitely carve out a little bit of tabletop time uh, because Sean's got a game. So let's uh, let's do that now. Tabletop time. Tabletop time. Right now. Right now. All right, Sean. Uh, I know you are you hobnob with the game designers and uh, game players and you've gotten into board games lately. Um, what, what do you, what have you been playing? Yeah, I've, I'm known to yeah. have a few knobs uh, here and there. Um, uh, one game I, I always like to, I mean, there's big, deep, meaty games that you'll never have time to play and you'll never play. Uh, so instead uh, I want to mention a game called six. I can't pronounce no, it's it. Nimit. Six Nimit. Nimt. Um, and it's it's actually a fairly old game, but it's one I only uh, recently discovered and played recently. And uh, it is a very simple card game. You can play with up to 10 people. And it's, it's, it's easy to explain. You don't need to be a board gamer to play it or get it or have fun with it. I love it. how you like and spit that out of your mouth. Board gamer. Ugh. I, hey, I have a board game <laughs> night every week, so I'm very much count myself among them. But um, it's just... People are always asking, like, well, I want to play something with my spouse or my kids or my family at Christmas, so I don't have to talk to them about politics. Like, just something that you can play that's just kind of fun and easy to understand. And Six Nymphed is is really great for that because you just 
uh, you just have a handful of cards, like 10 cards, and they're just numbers on them. And, and it's one through 104. And each uh, card has like little pictures of bulls on it. And so the numbers don't really matter in terms of uh, score. The idea basically is uh, it's, it's, it's one of those games that's easy. To I was, I was so amazed that you're able to explain this game because I couldn't do it. I was like, he's really going for it. I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm going for it. So you put out four cards on the table and there's like a 12 and a 40 and an 80 and a 100, right? And so you look at your cards, everybody, you pick a card from your hand, you put it face down, everybody does that, and then you all flip it once. Lowest card goes for first. So if I had a 41, I put it on the right side of the 40, and then you can only put a card down that's higher than the card that's already in the row. So you can't do one that's like lower than that. And so you're just basically putting down cards. Once a row of cards hits six, you have to take the whole row. So you're desperately trying to not take any rows, uh, but you don't know what other people are going to play. And those little bulls on the cards, those are points. So when you take those cards, you have to eat those points. You're trying to avoid yeah. getting points. It's like golf. You want a low score. Which is different uh, than shoot funny golf. what's funny is that... Very different <laughs> than shoot golf. What's funny, though, is that there is now a Walking Dead branded card game that is this game. Oh, really? It just happens to be Walking Dead and zombies well, and bullets, but it, it is this exact game. So you may not be able to find Six Nimpt, which is like N-I-M-M-T and an exclamation point. You might be able to find the Walking Dead card game, which is exactly I had this. no idea about the Walking Dead version. Th- this game has been, has gone out, like you said, it's like 20 years old, and it's it's been released under like six different names. It was called Challenge 5 for a while, and I think like 11 something, 11, another weird word. Uh, but yeah, there, there was a 2015 version called Six Nymphed, uh, but I did not know about the Walking Dead version. That's pretty wild. Um, it, it, as you said, very accessible game. There's a little bit of math that you need to do, uh, but not it's not too crazy. But at the end of every hand, you kind of have to you know add numbers. Uh, but it's one of those games that you like you said, play a bunch of people, which is great. Uh, plays quickly, and you can almost play it like a spray and pray kind of game where. <laughs> Even if you don't even know what you're you're doing, if you just pull a card out of your hand and put it on the table, it kind of takes care of itself. Like it just even to a degree. Once you've played it enough, there's definitely oh, sure. a strategy. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely there in our group. There's definitely players who consistently just for some reason, even though there's like six of us and that's a lot of chaos, somehow they just never <laughs> eat a row. It's almost it's magic. Like it's a savant level skill. Like I can't figure out how they pull it off but uh but yeah it is a game because it is quick and simple in in its understanding and execution you can just be like ah, i'm going with my gut i'm putting down a 40 and i'm just gonna hope somebody eats that row before i would and then i'll have a nice clean i can just drop my card down there it'll be nice and easy but oh boy it can go bad real fast we've had people who like because the the game ends the first person who gets 66 points total We've had people do that in wow. two rounds. Wow! <laughs> so you could have a real bad couple of runs, and that's the end of the game. So it, it's a pretty quick. It's a mover too. Which is again, good. that's called six nymphed. So uh, good luck searching for that. But it, it, or the walking or, dead yeah, or the walking dead tart. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, this is an email that we got sent to dlcfeedback at gmail dot com uh, about tabletop time. This is from Tyler. Uh, Tyler writes, uh, "Hi guys, uh, I'm a big fan of the show. I've been around since the beginning, but." That's mostly because I can't remember a time when I wasn't listening. I decided to send my favorite tabletop story to you because it's just too perfect to have been real. The game was Betrayal at House on the Hill. For those that don't know, you explore rooms in a spooky house as a team 
until the tides turn and one of you goes rogue in the haunt phase. From there, there are 50 different haunts, each with their own win conditions for the survivors and that traitor. So the haunt had rendered one of my friends captured by a spider. We knew that we needed to get lucky and draw a very specific item in order to rescue her before she died. So I wandered into a room and drew the event card. The event reads, image in the mirror. There is an old mirror in this room. Your frightened reflection moves on its own. You realize it is you from another time. Your reflection writes on the mirror. This will help. Then it hands you an item through the mirror. This allowed me to draw a card and lo and behold, it was exactly what we needed. Unfortunately, by the time that play had come back around to my turn, my friend had perished, rendering my item useless. I moved my character to the room on the opposite side of the mirror and drew yet another event card. It read, it read image in the mirror. There is an old mirror in this room. Your frightened reflection moves on its own. You realize it is you from another time. You need to help your reflection. So you write on the mirror, this will help you. Then hand an item through the mirror. It required me to discard one of my item cards. Guess what item I gave up? I managed to complete the time loop and give past me the item that gave him false hope. I now know for future reference and always assume that future me is a narcissist, is a sarcastic jerk. <laughs> Despite this, I still love Betrayal at House on the Hill and will always recommend it. Thanks for your awesome show, Tyler. Wasn't that That's rad? Great. Like he, he the game yeah, created awesome. a time loop and then he completed the time loop, making time travel possible. Amazing. Uh, so that's Betrayal on the House on the Hill. Uh, really, really kind of crazy game. I remember playing that game the first time uh, on Halloween Eve, so October 30th. And uh, the guy's house we played at, he like put on spooky music the whole time we played Betrayal at the House on the Hill, which really added the ambiance. Very cool. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Do stick around. We have our parting gift coming up. Uh, but I want to thank Sean Andrews for being here, man. Sean, it's always awesome to have you on the show. I'm really, really glad it worked out. I'm really glad I could be here. It's cool. Uh, tell people where they can keep up with you and the things that you do on the internet. Uh, well, gamerswithjobs.com is the best way to get there. And the Gamers Jobs conference calls our podcast and the uh, website has great articles and uh, a wonderful uh, community that's very uh, kind and welcoming. Um, and uh, yeah, you can get me on Twitter at Certus, C-E-R-T-I-S. I would, so far as, I would go so far as to say a best video game community on the internet, bar none. Um, one of my favorite places to visit. So uh, yeah, well done creating and cultivating and, and nurturing an awesome community there. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? I have a couple of shows lined up in LA. If you are around and want to come to a show, it's easy. Um, best way is just on Twitter at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. Next weekend, the 22nd and 23rd, I will be in San Diego at the La Jolla Comedy Store. For, uh, four shows, two on Friday, two on Saturday. If you are in or around San Diego, those shows are going to be awesome. So please come out to those. Say hi if you do. And uh, my gaming my gaming rig should be here Tuesday. So Ooh. hopefully streaming will become a little more serious and a little less um, when it happens, it happens kind of thing. So oh, updates on that. Maybe Thursday will be the first time I'll have everything up and running, but it is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And then if you are a parent 
or are curious about it, I have a fun parenting podcast. Oh, as my voice starts to go out again. You always get choked up when you talk about parenting. It's uh, it, it really gets you. It does because the kids get sick and then they give your it to entire, you. So your entire really... parenting podcast is just, guys, I'm, I can't. It's so beautiful to be a parent. That's <laughs> the best. That's the best thing. It's called Department of Parenting. And it's twice weekly, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We recently had Justin McElroy on, which I thought was fun hearing him talk about being a parent because he's a public person, but very little of it is really diving into how he is as a parent. And Tuesday's show, we have Sydney on, who is his wife, and you might know from their wonderful podcast, Sawbones. And you can find the stream and all that stuff over at departmentofparenting.com. I am now going to drink more Radical. Um, as for me, I have several other shows you can enjoy, including a science comedy show called We Have Concerns, which is at wehaveconcerns.com. Uh, Monday's episode is a particularly great one, I think. I, I'm very proud of it. Uh, made me laugh a- in releasing it. And um, I have a show on CNET that's a video show all about technology, and that's called Tomorrow Daily. You can find that at tomorrowdaily.com. Also, if you want to hear me talk more about movies and TV shows, why don't you check out the Slash Filmcast? Really great episodes, uh, including an interview with Dan Trachtenberg and, on his movie 10 Cloverfield Lane and some other fun stuff. Uh, you can find that at SlashFilm.com or the SlashFilmcast.com. Actually, no, the. Just slashfilmcast.com. And always follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T. All right, guys, let's do it. Let's uh, give other people their parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Sean, you have a parting gift to get people through their week? Oh, I feel awful, but proud at the same time. Um, my parting gift is actually another Game of the Jobs thing that we've started doing. Um, it's called The Unmarked, uh, which is a collaborative RPG storytelling podcast that we started. Uh, we're three chapters in so far. Uh, it is a game in which uh, we're in a world where the circus comes to town. It's in, a, in, it's in an actual place in Kansas called Coffeeville. Um, and we all play characters that uh, discover that we have powers that are sort of circus uh, and tarot card related and we have this uh and so we basically tell this collaborative storytelling and rather than rolling dice for decision points and rolling dice for like if we're able to do something we pull tarot cards and those tarot cards dictate whether or not something works uh and it is gm'd by rob uh, davio who you may know he's designer of risk legacy and pandemic legacy which is apparently the apparently the greatest it is it is the greatest game of all time according to Board Game Geek. So he's running that. He's excellent at it. Um, and we're having such a blast creating it. It's it's almost pure improv and, and collaborative storytelling. And uh, it's just been a ton of fun. We're really proud of it. So it's uh, it's called The Unmarked. You can get it on any podcast. I have got to check of. that out. I, I am so jealous. Rob is such a cool guy anyway and such a brilliant mind. I, I definitely have to check that out. That sounds rad. Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? It's a question mark. The Dark Knight 3 Master Race. Do we like it? I'm enough issues in now that I think I think it's doing some cool things, but I'm also not sure if I'm sick of uh, that Frank Miller created. Batman's been through the crap. Batman, but I also, <laughs> I also still kind of really like it. So it's a call to the audience of, if you're reading it, should we recommend it that more people read it? Are you <laughs> reading re- it, Jeff? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm torn. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I know this is lame, but I'm boycotting uh, Frank Miller. So, what Frank Miller's a good guy? <laughs> no, he's a terrible person. Um, 
uh, my parting gift is uh, the film. I actually have two real quick. Uh, the first is the film Hardcore Harry. Maybe you've heard about this movie. This is the movie that's all entirely in first person. It's a video game movie and it shouldn't work. It should not work, but it works, guys. I'm here to tell you it's one of the most fun, ridiculous, over-the-top, zany experiences you will ever have in a movie theater. I was laughing and clapping throughout this entire movie. It's only like 88 minutes, but in high octane and certainly not for everybody. It's crass and ultra-violent and wild. But if you like video games, never has there been more of a love letter to video games than Hardcore Harry. It is a video game. I mean, it has everything that you know and love from video games, tank level, sniper level, elevator level. I mean, like uh, escort missions. It ha- it, it's Hen- Is it Henry or Harry? I thought it was Harry. Is it Henry? I think it's Henry. Am I saying it wrong? I'm Googling now. Hardcore Henry. Henry. Yes, Henry. Well, you know what? To me, he's Harry. That's how much I like Hardcore Henry. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, thanks for correcting that. I probably have been saying that wrong in every piece of media that I've done about this game, this movie, because I've done a lot. Anyway, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's it's crazy. Charlotte Copley is amazing in it. Awesome. And then the other thing is, you guys talked about it at the top. Uh, you know, I always kind of give a shout out to the Geeks and Sneaks at the at the beginning of the show. Uh, I did a Geeks and Sneaks thing today, and I you know I just kind of want to highlight that it was a wild and fun, interesting thing. I did this down and dirty obstacle race, which is a six mile run with like 20 obstacles you have to you know jump over things climb over walls crawl through mud you know go through tubes of water it's wild it, it, insane uh, but fun and just a real fun experience and there are so many of these kinds of things around the country uh, obstacle races color runs you know zombie runs i try one they often have different distances. So like this one in particular, I did the six mile, but there's a three mile. Uh, so even for people that don't run a lot, you can get through it. And you, I bet you'll find you'll have a really good time. Um, such a good community of people that tend to come out to these things had a blast. And it's a be- it was a beautiful area. It was at Castaic Lake. It was just gorgeous. And I highly recommend it. If you want to, you know, dabble in, in uh, geeks and snakes, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to get out and run or run on a treadmill or do something boring. There's lots of interesting, fun ways to be athletic and outdoors and enjoy being physical. So try it. All right. So that's going to do it. Uh, that is our parting gift. Uh, thank you so much to Sean Andrich and Christian Spicer for joining me. Uh, thanks as always to the guys that supplied the amazing bumpers you heard throughout this episode, Patrick L who just had a birthday. Yeah. Just his birthday, Patrick, yeah. Happy birthday, belated. Uh, Sean Madigan and his wife and Zero Star, they, they made those bumpers that uh, you tap your toes to, I hope, every week. Uh, and thanks to all of you for listening and downloading the show. We really appreciate it. Tell your friends and give us those five-star reviews on your platform of choice. It really does help the show. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. 